So that's where it's, if you look at that and like, well, he stops working great, then what would he do? Is he leveraging? Can he go do marketing? Can he spend more time with his, you know, some of the podcast skills focused on a wedding podcast? You know, there's those type of things where you may be able to expand the business a ton. And now. <laughs> Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sitting off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening? How are you doing today? You know, thank you so much for being here. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 164 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do-do-do-do. Oh, fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. That was weird. I know. I did do a triple take. <laughs> Are you just like trying to come up with new ways to start the episode that people haven't heard before? Always, baby. I'm always <laughs> innovating and getting, uh, you know, just getting in my head thinking like, what would be a cool way to start the show? And other than the fact we have Clover Bear in the studio. Clover, the podcasting puppy. Look at her running around the studio. Yep. She's just like, oh, I'm here, everybody. Listen to me. So Clover is here. So if you hear some background noise, a little shake, a little rattle, it is our favorite podcasting puppy that has joined us in the studio. Clover, do you have anything to say to our wonderful audience? <laughs> that translates to Chris is awesome. <laughs> she just looked at you like, what is that that you do in dad? <laughs> I know Clover, a podcasting puppy, you know, Clover, you know, you were our mascot. We went to pick you up at, up in Seattle so many years ago. Do you remember that day? Um, I woof, remember woof, that day. Woof, woof, woof. I remember that day, but you weren't there. Yeah, I wasn't there. Christine actually went with the three kids all the way up to a little fun trip to pick up Clover. I think you almost called her Cleo. Cleo Clover. <laughs> I know that from when you guys told me how exciting trip it was, you guys going up there and how exciting yeah. the kids were. I do remember very clearly that you said when you had to bring Clover back in the airplane back, uh, Mason was with you and Mason said something along the lines of... Uh, I love her so much. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He, he fell in love with her like instantly, but so did I. She was so tiny and she's still little, but uh, Clover's hanging out with us here on this fantastic Saturday night. Uh, we've had a busy day today, but guess what? We're kind of back on our podcasting rhythm. Yeah, this is so much fun. I love podcasting. I love talking. Of course, on the way home from oh dinner gosh. tonight, you're like, shut up, Chris. You talk too much. I would never say that out loud, but I might have said it in my head. Well, I heard it. I mind, I mind <laughs> maybe you head. Yeah. Okay, friends. Chris is blessed with the gift of gab. And what that means is <laughs> yes. he doesn't know how to stop. Like he just talks nonstop. And so like we're driving home from dinner and he'd been talking. Him and the boys had been talking through dinner and then we get into the car and talks all the way to the car and then gets into the car and it's literally he's talking a mile a minute and it's every single thought that's ever entered into his brain all strung together with barely taking a breath. And finally, I was like, what are you even talking about? And you, you said, well, you would know if you hadn't stopped me and now I have to start all the way back over right, from the beginning. Start my story all over from the beginning, <laughs> you know. And then I was like, can I just have a little bit of quiet? So then you were like trying to turn on the, the radio and I'm like, no, like actual quiet in the car. Like, so your brain can. What think. is that even like? Exactly. Exactly. My point, dear. 
what is it like to have silence so that your brain can actually think? Well, I don't know. You know what? That's for uh, common folk. For me, uh, advanced folks, I like to talk too much. You know, I can just keep it going. Well, I was wondering something about you because oh, yeah? I I noticed you talk to yourself a lot. Uh, is it hard for you to just like let your thoughts swirl in your heads? Like, do you have to have a conversation with people to f- make meaning of things? Yes. Yes. Clover <laughs> said it best as she growls over there on the couch. But no, seriously, do you have to like talk to people to be able to make meaning of what's in your head? Um, talking to people? No, that's the whole point. I can talk to myself. And that's-, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like people, including you, but cause like me, I just get lost in my thoughts and I just will like think through things. Well, you and know process. What it is? I just thought of something. It's like, if I really want to understand something that's written down, like really like, what does that mean? I will read it out loud. Oh, okay. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. So if I like, what is, and I read that out loud. And but, I, but does your brain actually process it that way? Because I for me, so. like yeah. when I'm talking, my brain's already formed a thought. Like it's not necessarily like thinking as I'm talking. Maybe it is. I don't know. I think it's how it usually works, babe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know? I, I like to form my thoughts and I like, you know, quiet think time. And so Sometimes when there's just too much talking, it's overwhelming. But also, I am getting used to my new uh, jewelry, my new very expensive jewelry that is now a part of my lifestyle, which are my fabulous hearing aids. Look at that. Christine's I, kicking up a notch. Yeah, but I don't use them when we're podcasting because, you know, I already have the headphones and it's already amplified. But when I've been in a restaurant and it's loud and I'm hearing more noises, And then we're back in the car and it's just constant input to my brain. Sometimes my ears are like, can we just have a break? Maybe that's what it is, though. You know, like, I don't know. I I, I love to talk, I guess. And um, in fact, understatement of the year, Clover. It it, it is. You know, one time I had this great idea that since I love talking so much that maybe I would try my hand at being a telemarketer. And I tried it. And to be a telemarketer, you have to listen. No, not really. Yeah. <laughs> but it was so, hor- it was like a sweatshop I worked in. Literally, it was like a sweatshop, like a garage almost with a bunch of phones next to the wall. And you like had these numbers to call. And these numbers were like people that, li- that worked in, but actually their businesses back east. So you call this business back east. It was like a 7-Eleven or a gas station or something like that. And you try to like, your whole pitch was, oh, hey, uh, how do you get to your location? Like what, what street do you guys turn on? Are you guys by the... You try to make up some store. I don't know. And he said, no, you know where the uh, Piggly Wiggly is in the old old uh, fire truck that's parked in the corner? Yeah, I sure do. Mm-hmm. Is that the one you get? Oh, we're down that street, down the corner. Okay, great. The reason why I called today was because we're going to sell you <laughs> <laughs> business pens with your name on it. <laughs> and uh, Was that literally what you were selling? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it was. Business uh, pens with their names on it? Like yeah. what year was this, 1942? <laughs> it was. 1942. Yeah. We're, po- we're getting like uh, uh, war bonds for the, for the big war we're doing. World War II. Basically. No, it was. Depends with their name on it. How, you know, old are we, how old are you, dear? Well, a hundred years old, I guess. So <laughs> pens and keychains that sometimes those stores would have to promote their businesses. You have some for your Christine Smith designs, don't you? Mm-hmm. See, things like that. But so instead of going to like a Vista print or a big company, we would call you and upsell you these uh, packages of pens and mm-hmm. and uh, swag or whatever, basically. And um, they promised you all the world too. We do these telemarketing things. It's like you could make like $10,000 a day 
And I'll create, oh yeah. I get like saucers. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll do that. You know, you're always a sucker for the get rich quick schemes. Uh, yeah. And it, well, we all are, but I've no. never, I've never really gotten suckered into the lottery scheme of like, I got to play the lottery every single like week or whatever. Well, that's it is. not a get rich quick scheme. For some that's it is. A, that's for a some game it of is. luck. But it is. Everybody looks at the same way. They, they see that the lottery is literally like the uh, poor versions of versions um, 401k. Um. Okay. Sounds good. Clover over here is growling like she dis- disagrees with you, but uh, that's that's an interesting perspective. You've had so many different jobs. Like you talked about being a pizza guy and then you like got hired to like sell the steaks door to door. No, I turned that job down, by the way. Oh, I, I, oh, I thought it was good for it. Well, I thought it was a it was a salesman job, but I thought it was literally you're selling to the restaurants the steak. I was like, oh, well, that sounds kind of cool. But it turns out it was like a total, like you're your own boss, business owner scam, almost like a almost like, like a multi level marketing kind of. But it. it was all sales only, and mm. it was during the middle of the of the recession when nobody was buying anything oh, yeah. extra. I was trying to sell extra stuff is hard, and a high turnover rate. It was a yeah. So I, I didn't That's do probably that. Probably a good decision that you skipped that. Right. I saw that and I was unemployed at the time. So like, oh, you know, when you're unemployed, you really will take anything because you're just like anything come, I'm taking, you know, but you have to really think about it, like, well, maybe do my skills really align with that job? Not really. Right. Uh, so I kind of passed up on that. Okay. So let's talk of some of the other odd jobs that you have. So we know that you were a radio DJ, right? Uh, in college, I did uh, did take radio, yes. Okay, and then didn't you say you did something in a casino? <laughs> yeah, I worked at the casino. I actually worked on, it was, it was called, back in my day, it was called the Pull Team Department. That's P-U-L-L. Pull? Like, uh, <laughs> Stripper. Yes, yes I, was a, I was a pole dancer. Pull Team. Yes, I worked the pole. Pull Team. That's what I said, Pull Team. So <laughs> <laughs> you said Pole Team. Okay, Pull Team. So what they do, and see, I don't know. It's been so many I'm years. I'm in love but, with the strippers. Sorry. Yes. So speaking of working at the casino, I, um, so what I, my job was to literally and physically pull all the cash that was inside every slot machine. Like when you go to a slot oh. machine, you put your bills in the machine to play. I would physically have to go there. And it was a very um, daunting process because they had the casino uh, back then. They had the casino in four sections. And each section had uh, two member two teams. So me and another person was mm. on my team. And so basically what you would do is you would go through your section. You would pull out all the cash, obviously, and put it in these so little, like thousands of dollars, th- thousands of dollars into these envelopes with this little ticket. Basically was the machine number it came out of. You put it oh. in the bag, a Ziploc bag, not a Ziploc bag. It looks like a Ziploc bag. But it's zi- like one of those like money bags. Right. Exactly. Like was, the deposit bags. Exactly what it was. Got yeah. It. So you put it in there. And then the other person behind you would be in there in, uh, writing down the inventory. He'd write down there a bunch of numbers inside the machine, like mm-hmm. uh, almost like an odometer for your car. They had like three or four different sets of odometers in the machine. Basically, it was like inventory in, inventory out, credits played. It was like four different numbers they had to write down. And that was very daunting too, writing all those numbers down on a, on a pad. And that pad paper went into the bag, I think, too, which went into the big vault. Okay. So throughout the shift, you take the money. And put it into the counting room. And in the counting room, it was like all these clear glass tables and all these money machines. And everybody in there was wearing these white lab coats. And they had cameras like everywhere, up, down, underground. So it was I mean, like that movie. Um, what was that? Uh, Ocean's Eleven? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of like that, the vault there. Yeah. So from there, I'm not sure where it went. If it, 
the truck took it to the bank or how they did it. But uh, one time I made a big mistake when I was there because- You did? Yeah. Well, I always make mistakes, but I made a major mistake. This is the kind of mistake you almost going to get fired for. Uh, so what happened was there was two rooms you had to go through. There was like the hidden door, which is out in the casino. You went through that first door, which went into like a little like closet break room. There's some lockers. Mm-hmm. It was a real small room, probably, probably half the size of this room maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, there was a second door, which actually went into the account room where all the money was at. So for whatever reason, um, our boxes would get really filled with cash. So when the box got full, we take it to the account room and start putting moving into the next room. Now, security guard, they had the key that accessed to both doors. So they would access it, get us granted into the first door. And then once that door was closed, then access it into the second door. But for whatever reason, maybe my clumsiness, maybe my, for maybe just, I don't know, I had so much cash that day or whatever. I accidentally left one of the envelopes of cash in that first room. Mm. It didn't make it to the second room. And so when the second team came back to deliver their cash, they're like, oh, someone left a bag of cash, like right here on this little like break, break room, room, break room area. Right. And there's a camera in there. So they knew exactly who did. They saw me like, I oh, guess I must've like left it there or whatever or something like that. So. I got in trouble, but I didn't get like fired or anything yeah. like that. But it's like a big no-no when it comes yeah. to stuff like that. They're very, they're very strict. They don't trust anybody really. That's why the cameras everywhere. Okay, so that was one of your odd jobs. What are what is another odd job that you had? Oh gosh. Uh, oh, I worked at the dollar store. Oh yeah, you told me about that. Yeah, it was the dollar store came to town. They're a new thing, nine nine cent only. Now I think they're like nine nine and up now. And were you like a stock boy or a yeah, cashier? Yeah, I did stock. Well, I didn't graduate cashier. I was stock boy. So I go in the back and he had to like grab a pallet of whatever goods. It basically wasn't a pallet. It was more like a, um, like a dolly. Yeah. Wheel the boxes out and he had to like set everything up on the shelves, make it look pretty and restock yeah. things. But they, everything there was so like generic, weird brand stuff you never heard of, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course, what a lot of guys would do is like open a box of whatever it is and start snacking because like, well, it's open now. Mm-hmm. So they start snacking on stuff. I learned that trick too. Um, <laughs> Wow. Okay. So you had the Dollar Tree, you had the pizza shop, you had the The casino. casino. So a couple of odd jobs I had. So my very first job, I was pretty young. I was a pumpkin at the pumpkin patch, like walking people down to the haunted forest. Is that why you get mad when I call you pumpkin? No, it's because it's our turtle's name. Oh, well. Uh, But no, you say pumpkin when you're kind of like trying to be demeaning. Like, look here, pumpkin. Look, sweetie. Yeah, basically. So that that was my first job. And then um, when my, because my sisters worked there at the pumpkin patch, but um, they had to take care of me on the weekend because my parents worked. So as I got a little bit older, because it was like a seasonal job, the people that owned the pumpkin patch also had a Christmas tree farm on the same property. So it was like they had pumpkins in one section. And then after pumpkin season, there'd be like a month off and then they'd transition into Christmas tree season. And so um, right before I got my driver's license, I worked out at the Christmas tree farm and I answered the phones. I actually worked up in the house. Well, who would call for the Christmas trees? Like, am I tree ready yet or something? Or No, people would call and ask for directions. They'd ask our hours. They'd ask what methods of payment we took. That was me trying to sell you pens. Yeah. But down at the farm, they didn't have phones. It was at the house. Um, and it was on the river. And it was like... On the, the couple, river, huh? The couple was um, pretty wealthy. And so I got to stay in the nice, fancy warm house, just sitting at the desk. But sometimes like we'd go like an hour without phone calls. So I'd like fall asleep almost at the desk, but I was pretty young. 
And then um, when I was in high school, I worked at a deli. I um, It was a newer deli, but it was, guess what it was called? New deli? No, it's called Scavengers. Like that's a very appetizing name for that a deli. That's a weird name. And they I'm had a- those hyenas from the Lion King as the logo. The ones that ate oh. the dad lion. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. called Scavengers yeah. Bakery. And I was a deli girl. And so, I, but I was uh, not 18, so I couldn't use the deli slicer. So somebody else had to like slice all of the meats and like keep them inside of the little um, cubbies. And then I would make the sandwiches and then it was a bakery and deli. So we'd have like um, pastries and cookies and things like that. Um, But the owner was kind of shady (gasps) and he would, I mean, he would pay me and take taxes out, but he would pay me in cash. And then he would start to get like later on the checks. And so one day I went in for my paycheck during lunchtime from school And he's like, well, you can't come in right now for your check. And I was like, but it's payday. And I was expecting it. I can't come later. And he's like, well, I guess you're going to have to wait until your next shift. And he was like working me a lot. My parents didn't like it because I was in sports too. And it was like way too many hours. And I, I mean, it was hard. And then the guy was kind of, it's kind of creepy where like, I didn't want to work at the deli when it was just me and him. Like I wanted to make sure there was other people working there. And so, um, that's a sign of a really good boss. Let me tell you. Huh? Funny. Um, so I had that job and then after, I mean, I did a lot of work in like the food service industry. So I was a hostess. I was a server. Um, yeah. So I would do like a lot of that kind of stuff all the way up until I got my teaching degree. But you know, it's very interesting. I was thinking about the different types of jobs you and I have had because over dinner, we were talking with Jacob about how he has his first job right now. Yeah, he's actually working the snack bar at the Little League. Now, you might think snack bar, Little League, how, how kind of job is that? But they actually have a full-on register and they have food and they have processing, they have barbecue. They've got, well, they've got a lot of hot plate foods. I mean, it's, it's you know, for Little League, so it's like, you know, pretzels. But they have like and barbecue hot- and yeah. They have, you know, bar- barbecue and hot dogs and they've got chips and Cokes. They said they have a fountain machine. So they, yeah. You know, gives all Soda that fountain. The- right. But he said today he actually got a chance to work the register. Yeah. And that's so neat because the register is like any register where you type in the amount, type in the cash the person gives you. It calculates the change. I wonder if it does tax too. I don't know if I asked him that. I don't know because food isn't taxable typically. But I wonder if the machine is rigged for that. Like some cash registers, obviously figure the tax out. I wonder if his does the same thing. Oh, I don't know. But, you know, he's 13 and he has his first job and Ezekiel is, you know, getting ready for college and he and I have been talking about his job and it just made me think about like trying to instill really good work ethic in our boys and how important it is at this age that they start to, you know, be exposed to hard work and saving. And I know Jacob right now, everything he earns, he's turning it around and buying shoes with it. I don't understand the whole fascinating. I mean, I get shoes. Shoes are fun, but at his age, his feet are just growing. So I just told him tonight and said, all your shoes you're buying, you're just going to give to your brother. Because he's bought in the last month, he's bought himself four sets of shoes. Right. Nikes, <laughs> Jordans. The expensive ones yeah. too. And he's blowing all his money on that, which is fine. I mean, I mean, it's something you do when you're an adult, but he wants it. I know, I, but I, what's crazy is he got two pairs of Crocs for Christmas between the different households and he got a new pair of Nikes or two. 
Plus he has like four more plus, you know, other ones that he had. And he's constantly cleaning them too in the, in the bathroom. Yeah. And he seems like to clean his shoes. He does take really good care of his shoes and he has these like crease protectors and he's keeping them in like pristine condition. But, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, all of our boys and how old they're getting. And I just, it makes me really proud of them that they're seeking out opportunities to like save up their more money and earn more money. Um, but then it just got me thinking about like, where did you and I get our start in terms of like building the work ethic that we have? Well, I think people just kind of fall into it. And I, I think that a lot of people, it's just trial and error, you know, I think nobody knows what they're doing until they do it. And then when they get going and they kind of figure out what worked and what didn't work. And I think you really understand the value of money when you work a full, like real hard day, like mm-hmm. you actually work a day, a shift somewhere, and then you get paid the end of that shift and you realize, oh. Me doing all this crap I just did earned me a paycheck. I guess I'll do this tomorrow. Yeah. It made me think about like, I wonder if any of our boys are going to decide to start their own business, especially as they see you and I chasing our dreams and building our own small businesses. If it's going to trigger this thought in them like, oh, well, maybe I could create a product or create a service that they might want to market to other people. That is fantastic. And also, we have a special, fantastic VIP guest this week that's going to tell us all about that great stuff. And we're going to be back with him right after this. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podcasting Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy. And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic VIP guest coming to us from Utah. He is an author, and he's going to talk with us about family and business and how they all come together. Welcome to the show, Aaron Shelley. Thanks a lot, Christine. And Chris, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for showing up today. We appreciate this, man. How is your Saturday as you record this? How's it going? It's going great. Like I said, I I did a little bit of uh, work to prevent some of the water runoff, but overall, it's been pretty relaxing and enjoyable. Water runoff. So what part of the world are you currently in right now that has uh, lots of water that would require water runoff protection? Um, yeah, I'm in Utah. So we have a lo- we got the biggest snow possible, biggest snow ever on recorded history. So a lot of people are concerned with the runoff. I'm actually currently pumping water out from under my trampoline since it's been filling up there. So just dealing with all the moisture that we're getting, which we need, but has Wa- its downside, water, I suppose. Water underneath the trampoline. That sounds like yeah. fun for the kids. Maybe jump in the water, <laughs> splash in or is it going to come up to the level of trampoline? It, it got all the way up to above the trampoline. So when oh. people would step on it and oh, it was that's another level. Yeah. And it was ice water. So you'd go <laughs> 32 degrees and then you start jumping in really cold water. It was not a good combination. Do you have one of those setups where you have like the trench built and the trampoline is down inside of it? So it's kind of at ground level. Ex- exactly. It's a oh. big hole, right? So it all oh. filled up. 
Yep. And my wife and I run an Irish dance business. And so we have all these right behind the house, all these little kids who are waiting will come and try to jump on the tramp and then they will get a surprise when the water hits them. Okay, now I'm intrigued. An Irish dance business, is this kind of like the river dance dancing where they like dance around to really cool Irish music like you see on St. Patty's Day? Exactly. Look at that. (laughs) Exactly that type. That was the big thing that actually my wife actually was thinking of stopping doing dance when she had finished high school. But then the university were close by, Brigham Young University. She they pulled her in and wanted her to teach for her. So she Built the whole curriculum for Irish dance and the folk dance department there. So when I graduated, I didn't think when I first married her, I didn't think we would go and do Irish dance, but it just kind of was the opportunity. So we've kind of carried that on for the last 25 years now. Now, is there a big industry for that or is it just like hit or miss around certain times of year? Um, It's more, it's mostly the teaching. I mean, there's a lot of times like in March, we usually get a lot of people who want us to go for forum forums. Sometimes my wife will take the group and perform for like the local hockey team, the Utah Grizzlies. She's danced in with the Utah jazz before Adobe is here. And sometimes she's done some corporate events for them. So it just kind of depends on what's going on and who's, who's doing stuff. But we always have a competition in February, then a recital in March. And then a lot of shows in March where she goes to schools and gives them a free assembly. Um, So just kind of this, it's always March, but then we have another concert. Just always going. There's always competition. It's like just like in any other dance form. It's not particularly big in terms of, I think we have about 150, 180 students, and we're the biggest that, in Utah. That sounds so, like a lot, though. I think 150, 180 students seem like a big, big group of any kind. Yeah. It's, well, we've been above, I guess it's smallish. We've been above 200 points. So it's kind of retracted. During COVID, it was especially rough. We had to, my, I had built an, I had developed an app, and so my wife used that when we had to shut down so that they could keep doing it and have leaderboards and those type of things. Oh, so. yeah, I bet, yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> makes, it, makes a lot of sense. So many people had to adapt to different ways of running their business during that time. Now, do you have a studio, like, in town, or is this you've built out your property to be able to run the dance school there? Yeah, so we when we— when I graduated, I finished my engineering and then MBA, and then we kind of had the choice to follow the job or stay with the business. And we decided to stay with the business. But one caveat we were trying to make with my wife was I'm like, I don't want you to have to travel to a studio. So we bought a house that had a building behind it that we can, <laughs> we're lucky the city actually allowed us to, but they allowed us to convert it into a dance studio. So the studio's right behind the house. And then we have another studio uh, 10, 15 miles away where we also teach, but the main studio has been at the house for the last 25 years. Nice. That makes so much sense. We actually just built a studio here on our property. Chris had it built for my wedding and event planning business for the same reason. He didn't like that. I would have to you know, rent facilities off site or be somewhere working late at night when there might be riffraff around the area. And definitely having your studio on the property. I mean, there's the tax benefits of it and also the convenience of it to be able to, you know, live your regular life and kind of schedule your business around your life instead of the other way around. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like Chris and I had very similar thinking. But yeah, when my wife would, she would have kids. So I worked at a number of tech companies and I would come home and my wife would have the babies like sitting in class with her on a little <laughs> rocker. I'd go pick them up and then she would continue usually teaching until, you know, 8 or 9 p.m. So that's just how we we could juggle it that way without having to have too many babysitters. And it's also been nice because my 
four kids have all been gone through the dance program, have all reached the the open championship, the top level in Irish dance. So it's been a nice family thing. And it's also been a nice monetary thing. And mm -hmm. it's also allowed us to have the kids teach. So there's so many aspects. I, I feel like most parents, if you can get in business, do some business stuff with your kids because it helps them learn so much more than you can teach them if you're just separating your lives more too much. Absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about business before we talk about your book. So you mentioned that you went to school for engineering, but you have this dance studio. What has been your professional journey to lead you up to writing a book? Yeah. So I did my engineering degree and I got frustrated because I was working on some products and the business people weren't promoting them. So then I was like, I want to get an MBA to understand that logic. And then I, I did that. We did the dance studio mainly because of some of the stuff from rich dad, poor dad. If you're familiar with that mm -hmm. book, you know, like you want to own assets. And I'm like, yep, I want that. So that's why we did the studio. And then I, I was, I got a lot of new product jobs. And then I worked at Ancestry. Then I worked at a startup. And then I had some, because we had invested and paid off some debt, I had some time in my life where I could choose what I wanted to do. And my mom said, Hey, there's a guy writing a book on entrepreneurship and family structure. And so I was like, well, that sounds interesting. And I was doing just consulting. So I did that with him while kind of running as a COO of a smaller company. And in the course of doing that, I was like, you know, here's, I think, a better model that you should use in your book. And he said, ah, it's your book, not my book. So I never <laughs> wanted to write a book necessarily. But I, as I built out the model, I'm like, this is so effective. And then I, it was about 2018. I was kind of done with most of it. And then I had an opportunity. A friend of mine asked me to join his company that was about 20 people. And then we took that from 20 to 180 over the next four years. Wow. Wow. Got 54 million in private equity. And a year later, I was able to step back. And so now I'm like, and, I, and all the time I was talking about the principles, especially there was a lot of the people I was mentoring and dealing with. They were like, how does this work? And I'm like, just think about it this way. And they, they really enjoyed it. So then when I had the time to take off, I'm like, okay, I need to get this published. So I went through multiple edits and, it was painful to write the book, but I just feel like I'm at this point in my life where I need to give back and help other people hopefully learn some very basic principles that like, just like rich dad, poor dads, it teaches you about money. I'm just trying to expand that to include kind of holistic wealth rather than just the financial health wealth. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So one of the things that I'm wondering about, Aaron, is this entrepreneurial mindset. Is that something that you felt like you had from a young age or did you just have this epiphany of all of a sudden, you know, after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad or whatever other resource, like, oh, I can do this? I don't know that it was super entrepreneurial. I always like to solve problems. It's the engineering side. So I love to understand. I think that's a guy's thing because Christine tells me that. I don't want you to fix it. I want you to just agree with me that it's, I'm pissed off at the situation. <laughs> but, but, but as a guy, we're like, well, I'm immediately just going to, I know the solution to that problem. Let me just figure it out and just, just figure it out, right? Uh-huh. Yes, and that works a lot of times in the professional life with my wife. Sometimes it gets into tricky discussions, <laughs> just like it sounds like it's been for you. Right. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, there was a side where I like to solve problems and solve bigger problems. And so that kind of, but then I looked in, and with Rich Dad Poor Dad, it was like, oh, you need to own assets and you need to own those things. So I worked for a company called Ancestry.com. 
in the genealogy space. And they were, I don't know, they were fairly big when I went with them, but then they went through an IPO. Um, and I wasn't high up there at all, but I was like, oh, look, I had equity. So I got some stock. That's nice. And so I kind of, at that point, I'm like, oh, I understand this na- this part of the game. And so it's, I, I don't know. I feel like the small businesses, you just have a lot more ability to influence things, have impact and flexibility. I mean, this, this last company I was actually hired on as a, de- <clears throat> a development manager. And then I moved and took over product management. And then I was like, hey, there's this hole in marketing. I could do that. So then I switched over to the VP of marketing. And then six months later, I moved to the COO. So it's just, I like to solve problems. I'm not like a... <laughs> Uh, a kingdom builder. I'm just like, oh, look, the problem solved here, or there's a bigger one over here that needs to get solved. Let me go over there. So that's really where I say it's much more, the problems are more interesting to me than, you know, what my title is per se. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I see a lot of people that actually do. They, they focus the entire time and energy and just becoming a name chaser or becoming the title chaser or the business. Oh, I'm with the business card with a cool title on or with the office in the corner. But actually, like you're saying, they, they don't focus on fixing any real problems. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's again, where that some of the book came out of. I was like, I need to understand. There were just some events in my life that made me realize I don't really understand how families work and what are the dynamics. And you see all these different outcomes and, you know, you're looking at all these, all these people talking about what they need to do with their families. And I'm like, I need to go and understand that. Otherwise, I won't have a good influence or a good ability to influence my kids' directions. And I feel like that's my responsibility as a parent is to really help my children get onboarded into society so they can be contributing productive members. Well, that's the goal for any parent, really. Yep. Yeah, you, that's that's where I, I, I've been. It's always challenging because most parents will say, I want my kid to be successful. But then you kind of go into that. Well, what does that mean? I just want them to be happy. Okay. How, what does that mean? How much money, what, what, like, if you kind of go into it, they're like, I don't know. I want them to be in a space that they enjoy. (laughs) And so it's, I think it's a vague thing. And that's where a lot of, a lot of parents, I think, don't know what to do and and the influence they can have or how to help their kids. And so that's where I, I'm hoping the book can help give a little bit of structure and yeah, just structure to that. Absolutely. Well, before we hop into chatting about your book, I'd love to learn a little bit more about the dynamics in your marriage relationship. It sounds like your wife has been and you've been alongside her building this dance business while raising kids at home and also having this professional career. I was wondering, how did you negotiate that kind of balance of power or who gets to spend more time on what project? Because I know that from Chris's and my experience, you know, here we have our full-time jobs and we have our businesses and we have our families. It's this constant dance of who gets to allocate what amount of time to what things so that the kids don't end up being neglected. And how did you two manage that? Um, the big thing that we did was we always, we looked at things holistically. We started kind of from the beginning. So it was like, we want a family. What do we want together? So some people will say, they think that my wife was like, I, I want to be this, this boss babe, and I want to have this business, and this is super important. And the reality is my wife's like, this is the family is the most important thing to me. If my kids had a danger or had problems, I would drop this in a moment because that's my priority. And that's really where, you know, I've been too. like, what does my family need? And then I'll look at the business stuff. Of course, an essential part of the family is having the resources 
but it's just been my wife and I on the same page of what are our long-term goals here? And it hasn't been honestly very selfish. It's been more about the holistic family, just like kind of like we're in a business where you're like, we want this thing to do well. It doesn't matter if there's things we don't want to do, we still have to do them. So who's going to take care of them? And you kind of have to juggle around multiple roles. So it's kind of this all in mentality of we're both in this. What's the optimal thing for our family? What are the best things? And then we, we, we negotiate, we argue, we fight about it sometimes, you know, this is not a clean process, but that conflict brings us to a, a place where we can both agree. We're both happy and we're both moving in the same direction. How do you separate the individual goals from the family as a whole goals? You know what I'm saying? Where everybody's torn in different directions, but you really, to benefit the entire family, as like you said, with a business, I guess the same thing as a business really, is that every employee has their thoughts and ideas and different things. I know you can't fire, you can fire an employee, you can't fire your family. (laughs) You can try. (laughs) I mean, I'm... (laughs) Yeah, what was well, the that, one cousin we have? You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> yeah, there's some nature. I mean, uh, people talk about that a little bit with your with a spouse, but your spouse can fire you, right? They're like, "Sorry, we're getting a divorce because we're on different pages, and you're wanting to do things." So to me, there's this place where you can't fire your kids the same way, but if you treat your spouse like crap, then they can say, "This is not working," and either we're going to fix it or I'm moving on. So I think there's a pull where people need to be in the mode of not I'm the big boopa. And that's where you, I think Christine, you were talking a little bit about this, the power dynamics and who gets to make those. There are cases where someone needs to make a final decision, but in most cases, in in my opinion, it's well, whose, whose decision is this? Like there's a division of responsibilities and labor in a business. And it needs to be the same in family. Like my wife, I've tried to take a lot of the, I've done a lot of the tasks in the home at different points. Like I've cleaned the dishes, made the meals, done the shopping, done the laundry, you know, dealt with dirty diapers, all that type of stuff. <clears throat> but there's certain jobs where my, my wife's just like, I want to do these. Like she feels like she wants to be over the health of the family. So she's taking on the food, the purchasing of it, the making of it. Of course, she'll ask me, can you do that sometimes or some of the other kids? But she's the responsible one. And so if she says, well, here's what I want to do. It's her decision to make. And unless there's, I think it's egregious and I'm like, I hate that. And it's going to be this vegetarian nightmare or something or something that our our family just wouldn't do. Then, you know, I'm like, that's her decision. So I think it's, you know, just like you don't have your CEO questioning all your marketing decisions or your salespeople questioning all of your product, product decisions. At some point, someone needs to make some decisions. And so if you divvy up kind of the responsibilities, then I think it gives you an element of clarity. And then you can actually help each other and get some appreciation for helping versus, well, we're all in this. Everyone needs to do everything, which I've seen be a little less supportive. So big question for you, Aaron. Do you believe that a marriage should be 50-50? No. And I'll tell you why. Well. Well, there's two I mean, of us, man. 50 50. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look at us, if you look at it from a structural, yeah, a marriage is a 50 50 in terms of your resources. Like we're talking about you own half and I own half. That's how legally it normally ends up. So, in that sense, yes. But if you look in a business, it's got to be 100 100. Like I've got to give 100% in my areas of responsibility, and you should give 100% in your areas. And if you know, if you applied for a, a job in a business and they said, well, how are you going to work it? You're like, I'll give you 50%. 
I don't think any business you, would hire them. They'll give you half your fifty percent of your paycheck too. <laughs> eh, most of the time, they're like, "No, we just want someone else." Right? Oh, yeah. So that's that's where I think it's it's much less about, and it's really hard to know. Well, is me at one point? You know, I'm on the roof in a rainstorm, and the roof is leaking. Okay, that's a lot of real crappy, dangerous work. How do I allocate that against you made five meals this week? Like, how do we, how do you even do a comparison? And if you get in this mode of comparing, you're going to be so unhappy. I mean, if you look at, in a, this way, I look at the business world, it's so obvious. Like if I've got my marketing team that's marketing my product, and then I've got my development team who's building my product, I don't sit there and go, well, they did this many hours and you did this many. So you guys can't work as hard. You know, it's like they're going as hard as they can in their direction and you're going as hard as you can in yours. And together you can appreciate like those developers, they don't want to do marketing and the marketing person doesn't want to do development. So I think it's much more about appreciating uh, the other person and the complementary nature to what they're doing for your life versus trying to keep score. Cause that's when the 50 50 is much more around this idea of we're trying to keep score. Well, that's not even fun. You're both in the same, you're both winning at the same time. So what's this internal scorekeeping for what would be, what is that serving? You know, I think that's a really, really good point, Aaron, because I feel like sometimes I get in that mentality where I'm like, gosh, I did X, Y, and Z. And why wouldn't, you know, Chris, da, 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 da. And it does get into this like tit for tat and it can breed bitterness. And I have to remind myself in that space, like he's doing the best that he can. My giftings are Thank in- Thank you, babe. My giftings <laughs> are in different areas. And I just have to like keep reminding myself all of the time, like we're on the same team. We're working on the same goal because I feel like when we get into our flesh and we look at, you know, sometimes it, it's it, most of the time it has nothing to do with a partner and has everything to do with the stresses of the business or the stresses of the job or of parenting, but reminding me like, Hey, we're both giving our best 100%. And that looks different for each of us. Cause we have different strengths and areas for, um, of contribution, but not diminishing what your partner is contributing to the relationship and just looking at it as a different set of skills that you're able to bring. Cause like you were saying, like I can't be up on the roof repairing the, the roof from flood damage. Like I have no idea what that is, but you ask me to make you a meatloaf. Like I can do that or bake bread. Like I've got you. And so I wouldn't be asking Chris to like, get into the kitchen and make the bread. He wouldn't know where to start. I cook too. What are you talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. I, I like I've, I've cooked and I see that with even my daughter, she got married and she was complaining. She's like, Oh, my husband, he just doesn't care as much about his health as I do. You know, I like healthy meals and I'll have my protein and my vegetables and all this, so all these things. It's so colorful and looks good. And I'm like, I have not met a guy who does that. Like for me, I try to be healthy. And if it's my responsibility and my wife's giving it to me, I'll try to do that. But for me personally, I'm like throw a pizza in, grab a drink. I'm good. I'm really focused on getting stuff done. So that's where I say, like, we usually have a lot of complimentary things. That's, that's what attracts. I mean, the reason I like my wife, one of the big reasons is she's not a man, right? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's a big one. I think I put that on my Tinder profile. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is like a very important thing. So she thinks about things differently. She values things differently. The, the best part of a marriage is when you get complementary skills that come together and make a better whole, just like in a business. 
business. You want the complementary skills so that you can come together and make a better whole. And I don't, it seems like there's a lot of people who are in the mode of, well, I make money and I do this and I do. Yeah, but what are we trying to do together? And I think when you look at businesses, you know, when they, if you get married later or if you have a blended family environment where you were married and then divorced, those, when you're getting married, that's like a merger of two businesses, right? Well, how are we going to do all of these functions? Because we were, I was making money and he was making money. I had the kids and he was like, there's so many things in there that you're then trying to pull together. And it's very tricky because you've got to go through all the rules and all of the responsibilities. And, you know, in, in business, it doesn't work out that well. Right. Uh, you know, most, most mergers don't work out because they're so complex. And so you need to appreciate that when you're coming into those type of relationships, like this is not a trivial part of the relationship. Like, Hey, we got married. Everything's going to work out. It's more like, Hey, <laughs> we just got married. Now we need to go through and figure out all the logistics and negotiate everything because it's not clear how everything's going to work. So building off of that, Aaron, why is it from your research and experience that certain couples have so much friction in their relationships and how can they go about minimizing it? Yeah. Most you see this in, in businesses, but it's, are they, do they have the same strategy? Are they trying to go in the same place? And I call it their business model, but are they trying to have the, the right strategy? Well, I want to go spend, you know, it's super important for me that we go on vacations every year. And then structurally, I want to be the leader. Well, if he wants to be the leader and the woman wants to be the leader, there's there's this friction. And then you have cultural things. Are we about working hard, you know, delayed gratification? What are the cultural values we have? And if they, they conflict, then there's going to be problems there. So, I mean, if you look at, this is where I compare the businesses. If you look at Google, Google has a strategy of organizing the world's data. They have a structure that's fairly, um, they don't have tons of management. They try to reduce management as much as possible, fewer meetings. And then they have a culture that's all about freedom and responsibility, right? And so if someone can do good work at 4 a.m., they're like, great, do good work. We don't care when you do it. We just want your creativity and your and your brain working on those. Mm -hmm. But if you look at a company like Walmart, their strategy is to provide families with you know, well-priced goods that make them all, you know, meet their needs. Their structure is very built around all their real estate and all of their each store. And it has to be a lot of top down and they don't have the same culture of freedom. They have, you have to show up on time. You need to be trustworthy, predictable, all of those things. And that's an aligned business model, right? So Google's business model, it's strategy, structure, and culture are all aligned and it's, and they work together. So there's not a lot of conflict and same with Walmart. But if you took Walmart's culture and put it into Google, <laughs> all the engineers would be like, screw this. I'm out of here. Right. Oh, yeah, lose everybody. <laughs> right. And if you gave that moved Google's culture over to Walmart, then half the time the shelves wouldn't be full when customers need them. So right. it's this thing of, and this still the book and, and what I was trying to do and why I think the concept is so powerful is because I'm not trying to say here's the right way to do anything. It's much more like in the business world where you're saying there's a lot of business models that can work. It's much more around making sure that your business model is aligned and your people in the business model are aligned with each other because that's where all the conflict is coming from. It is not coming from, well, he just sucks. Well, no. Why do you think he's, he sucks? Well, because he didn't do this thing that I wanted and here's my culture. Here's how I, here's how I see love and here's how we we perceive hard work in our family is. 
So it's really much more of the cultural conflicts or a structural, you know, if you don't know who's, who's, who owns this, does, do I own the laundry? Does my wife own the laundry? And if we keep fighting over it, it's like, well, we need to resolve the conflict and establish those roles and responsibilities. And it's not to say that I can't help her with those, or at some point we need to negotiate it. Like, like you said, like there's points in your life where, I mean, I went on a trip to India and the, over to Asia for three weeks. All of a sudden, everything I was doing has now changed. So at least for that three weeks, we need to find some way to make everything keep going while I'm gone. Right. And it's and then it's the same as like before you have kids, you have a different business model, right? Like, right. okay, we we can both work and we have both have a relationship and then we can be wherever. Now we have a kid. Oh, freak. Now we have someone has to be yep. with this kid. Everything <laughs> revolves around the kid. When you have a kid, your whole world is like babysitting, daycare, planning, picking up, keeping, keeping them alive. Keep, yeah, that's, keeping, a, that's on the list somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's a woman's priority. That's my that's, wife's priority. Mine was right. more like challenging them and playing with them. Right. The fun stuff. Yeah. So, so that's like you, it, it, with a, with our families, we go through these transition periods. Like, well, we, we don't have kids. Then we do have a kid. Then we kid the kids move out. And so when the kids move out, you're going to go from, Oh, now there was all this work to support them to, well, now what do we do? You mm -hmm. know, there's just two of us. Why do we need to make meals? It's actually, is it even cost effective the same way it was? So you, you have these transitions on, on the structural side, but then there's also some things that happen on the emotional and biological side. You know, when women have children that affects their emotions, it affects their, like the biology, there's a book called the female brain and another one called the male brain, where it talks about when you're going through these stages of life, there's also biological things that are happening. Right. You know, and so that's the stuff that we need to be aware of where we're like, especially like I've seen a lot of women who are my daughter when she was young, she's like, I never want to kiss a boy. Okay. Ew, let's wait a cuties, few years. That's why. Ew. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, and then they get older. Well, I'm never going to get married. And then, you know, fast forward. Now she's married. And, and you're like, well, we're kind of stupid because we biologically, I don't know anyone who is like, now it's time for me to go through puberty. They're, you know, we're kind of in this biological, this body that's doing things and we, we don't get to choose it. And that's where you, you know, you'll see it with, you know, when women go through menopause, hormones are changing, certain things need to, uh, need to be adjusted and renegotiated. Right. And that's where it's like, the more we understand kind of the, the basics, the fundamentals I'm the engineer, so I just like to understand the laws that are at play here. Then we can put together a family that is actually really functional, enjoyable, and and the flywheel effect, the book, The Family Flywheel, that's why I call it that, is because you actually push off more wealth, both in your financial, your social, and your human uh, resources. Absolutely. So let's talk about that book. So the title is The Family Flywheel, The Secret Business Principles Successful Families Use to Create Sustained Wealth and Happiness. So why don't you start with just giving us an overview of what your book is about? And then uh, you're going to tell me and Chris in the next 20 minutes how to get rich quick, right? Yes. <laughs> I quit my job today, actually tomorrow. So tell me how to do that. I I think we have a weird I've been in some weird places. I think there's an over there's an idealization of retirement where oh I don't have to work where then you're but I won't <laughs> talk about that quite yet. So the book is is really about how you can create this engine, the business model which is your strategy, your structure and your culture for your family that will help you then create resources, those social human and 
financial resources, but then those, those things feed into themselves, right? That's the concept of a flywheel is kind of, as you get it moving, it goes faster and faster, and then you have more resources to put in, and then you can make it go faster. So going back to this Walmart example, it's Walmart took 20 years to build their first thousand stores, and then they were able to build 1100 stores in just one year. Wow. That's, that's the flywheel effect, right? Like you've, now you have the re- the money you need. Now you have all the trainings. Now you have all the real estate. You can do now a thousand stores where before that would have been crazy. And so what I'm looking at is if you're getting alignment on your businesses, on your family business model, well, then you have less conflict. And then you're like, well, what are we going to invest in now? Oh, we're going to do this activity. And when I say investing, I don't mean, hey, we're just going to invest for money because I've found, you've you've probably seen it too. There's doctors who will be like, I invested all my time for money and I never spent time with my wife and kids and now we're divorced and they hate me. Right. And you're like, well, that's a dumb investment, right? right? if, If you're doing something that compromises another, your, your holistic business, then that's silly. So it's really trying to pull this out and realize it is a, your business model is the engine that takes in your resources and then creates, you know, like in a business, you might take your money and you may hire a marketing person. Well, that's now you have more skills, but it's now costing you money, but you're hoping that that person will then be able to create ads and marketing material that then will produce more sales, which would then be more money. So that's where in a business, it's very clear that you need to, you take, you don't just like hoard money. You're like, well, now I'm going to use this money to now buy, buy, you know, buy a building like you've done or build that studio, those type of things. And then, then, oh, now we have the studio. Now we have less travel time. So now I can spend my time more effectively. Great. Now I can build more relationships with my kids. Now I can build more money. Now, you know, like this is the flywheel. This is the circular nature, similar to rich dad, poor dad. It's like, these are, these are all the components that you can be looking at and focused on. And, and if you don't do that well, (laughs) and we're going to just watch Netflix and I'm just going to sit around and then you actually have a loss. But in most cases, if you do it well, like, oh, I'm going to spend my money and time, money being a financial resource and time is a human resource. And I'm going to go get a degree at a university. Great. Now I have expertise and probably some social connections that I got at the university. Now, how am I going to do that? Now I'm going to go get this job that's better than I could have. So this is kind of the circular nature of understanding what are we investing in. Right. And, And it seems kind of simple, but I think a lot of people in our current society are very focused on, I'm going to go get a job and work for the most money as most money possible. But then you're, that would be the equivalent, not of not focusing on the social resources, which would be marketing and sales in a business. Like you need to build a network. You also need to build connections with your spouse and your children. And some of those things, especially a relationship with your children, it, it it's on a timer. Like those kids, once they hit 18, 19, the amount of time you have with them goes down. And so there's pieces where you're like, at this stage of life, we need to invest heavily in our children and in these relationships And then once they're out of the house, then we'll invest in this way. Definitely. So that's where we're at right now. So we have one kiddo that's getting ready to graduate and we're getting ready to launch him out into the world. And I have been for the last couple of years, just like telling myself, goodness, like things are going to change. Maybe he's not moving out. I mean, but 
at 18, he's going to have the choice because he's um, he splits his time between two households. He's going to get to choose where he wants to spend more of his time. And I want to make these these few years building up until he's quote unquote an adult really impactful, like spending time together, having adventures, making really great memories together, having him be part of, you know, different projects. And, you know, Chris and I have been taking the kids on trips and really investing heavily in uh, making memories and experiences and not in stuff, which, you know, we've just taken this philosophy of at Christmas and for birthdays that, the kids are going to get stuff from other people. You know, they have other parents we co-parent with and they get, you know, toys and, you know, all of these technology devices. And we were just like, okay, our priority has to be investing in our time with our kids and making memories with them. And so I'm hearing that from what you're saying is about like balancing out where we're putting our time. But I guess where I'm still a little bit confused with this concept of the family flywheel is, are, are you only talking about the family as the business model, or are you talking about a way to, for your business and your family to both thrive at the same time? Yeah, I, there's, I think you, you do want to keep it separate. Right. I have an Irish dance business model, and that involves how I market, how I do sales, all those type of things. But I also have on my family side, how do I build relationships in the community? Right. Today, I was filling up some sandbags with people from my church because there's this water runoff that they may, that may happen in the next few months. And so, and who was there? Other people I had met. So I'm building up these relationships with them. So you do want to separate. Here's my family business model because part of the family business model is, like in your case, you've got Chris. Okay, he's he drives trucks. He does those the gas trucks. And here's what you're doing over here. You know where you're you have your wedding and events planning stuff. So you have all these different pieces that are going. And you're like, at some point though, you'd go those that career could change. But you wouldn't say, well, I want his is his role of providing with financial resources and what you're providing for financial resources too. Are those roles going to shift? Those are the ones where you're, you know, if all of a sudden, I don't know, gas, you know, the truck driving became super lucrative, then would you say, hey, we have enough money over here. Let's shift where you, and so instead of you spending your time for money, why don't you invest more into the the kids or in terms of, in, into some other way? So that's where it's like your family business model is much more about how are you running the family? And then your business is much more, or your career is part of the strategy on what role you're going to do and what career you're going to pursue. So it's, it's not, you, you can't overlap. I'm like, with my wife and I, there's a lot of overlap because we have a family business, but then it's still, I still go off and do a separate career in the technology field. And she still is doing her dance stuff, but you don't want to over, you, you've got to look at them as separate businesses. Cause over time, unless you're really good, you're going to move through a business. Right. Right. What do you mean by so, move through a business? I mean, like you, you'll go, like I was at, this last company for four years and it had certain demands because I was in an executive position. Right. So then my wife and I had to do some adjustments, but then I'm no longer there. So now I'm promoting this. So now it's like, well, how now, what business am I doing? What are the demands? You know, I have more flexibility in the stuff I'm currently doing. So now I can pick up some of the slack that she may have been picking up for me in that other place. But that other, my wife and I were essentially co-investing in that last business and we had a great exit. 
right? So, so that's where I see it. it's like, it's kind of just trying to optimize continually the family and the businesses are just the opportunities to make money. So the family is the main goal and the secondary goal would be the businesses you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you look at it and say, well, yes, your main, your main thing and part of the strategy is what is your purpose individually, right? And I'm like, is, is your purpose, like you're, you just feel this calling to be, to deliver gasoline? Is absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not, but go ahead. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you look at that you're like, your purpose, obviously in life, you're not like, oh, I just love, I'm a transporter. You're like, no, I'm a father and I'm a, a husband and my, I have these other things that I want to do. This is then helping provide. So this is an avenue to provide financial resources. But if there was another, you know, you have these other businesses, if one of those took off, then you'd be like, oh, I'm going to drop that business and go over to this one because it makes more sense for me and the family. Gotcha. That makes sense? Yeah. 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 So it, what's really like I'm having this aha moment because I think that you phrased where there's been a little bit tension of tension for us is instead of the business being the focus of everything and the end all be all and the destination the family and building the family unit and building generational wealth and building up our kids, that's the legacy. And these other businesses, we invest our time in them, but for the purpose of reinforcing the strength and the success of the family, would that be accurate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. exactly. And you need to look at optimizing the family around the opportunities. I mean, I've seen uh, there's a couple I know and he does construction and she's doing an events planning business, but he, he's doing it in Northern California. He can make massive money and, but he comes home from work and then he's like, Oh, now I have to do this stressful wedding business. And she's like, oh, I need your help doing da, da, da. And you're like, is that, if, is that wedding business super important to you from an identity perspective or is it just from a monetary perspective? Cause it's, if it's a monetary perspective, you should probably step back from that one, support your husband, and he could probably make two or five X what you're making in your business just with more support, right? So it's really around when you're trying to optimize the family, it's what are we trying to optimize collectively for? And I know that can be challenging for different people because is your identity tied to it? Or if you're in a blended relationship, a lot of times there's, well, I need to have a backup plan. A lot of, so there's kind of those interesting things at play, but if you're looking at it saying, which, which business or, or which income is more important and can we right, get yeah. more out of this by both going all in versus trying to split it up? Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. And that's a, you're bringing up a really good point because Chris and I have been having a lot of conversations about this because you know, the fuel transport industry, it's stressful and it's definitely, well, it's definitely changing too. I don't know about, right. I mean, California (laughs) just passed a law. They were just, they had it on the news this morning that they're going to try and um, outlaw diesel vehicles. (laughs) And it's like, well, there goes the entire, you know, mass transportation industry. Um, But on the flip side, like San Diego is a destination wedding Mecca and our wedding and events business is extremely healthy. Would you agree, Chris? Oh yeah. I, I would say that like, uh, you you have brides that fly out of town here to San Diego just to pick this place for a wedding event. Right. And we're not on including a, the ones that are already here. Right. And we're on an upswing with it. So, you know, here I'm working full time and then have this full load of, you know, anywhere from 25 to 40 weddings a year. And, uh, where we're at is Chris is saying like, Oh, well, you know, I would love to stay home and and podcast full time. And I'm like, 
oh, like I still need you. Like we still need you working. Um, but as you're talking, I'm thinking like, well, I, I guess I was reflecting on, well, if he was to step away from trucking. Yeah. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm listening. Okay. Don't get too excited. <laughs> but if he was, what would that actually look like for our family model? Cause I think that what I've been asking myself is a different question. It's like, well, what does that mean for our business? And what does that mean for me? Like, would he actually be able to, would I hire him? Would he be working alongside of me? Could we make that work? Um, could we make more money instead of thinking about you know, freeing me up to do more and not have to, you know, be as tied to home, I guess. Like, it's interesting. You're just making me think a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's really where, that's where I get into this. That's why I like it. Once you kind of get the pieces, then you're like, well, how do we want to put these together? Right. It's if you have that destination and you're doing well and you're like, man, we're making this much money. Could, you know, could he jump in? And that's where you're kind of looking like, well, maybe he jumps in and he can do that 50% and then that helps you. But is it, that's where you get into some interesting places. Cause in like in my wife's case, he's like, she owns the Irish dance business, but so do I. Right. So it's kind of like, well, we don't really split up ownership. So it's like, well, what does that mean for the family? Because it's all, we all treat it the same. So that's where it's, if you look at that and like, well, he stops working great, then what would he do? Is he leveraging? Can he go do marketing? Can he spend more time with his, you know, some of the podcast skills focused on the wedding podcast? You know, there's those type of things where you may be able to expand the business a ton. And that's where a lot of people will be like, oh, it's your wife's business. No, it's never been my wife's business. It's always our business because we both decided to do it together and right. we both contribute to it. So once you start viewing it as our business, then all of a sudden the mentality will change around, well, how should we invest in our business versus well, that's yours and that's not mine. But like I say, there's, there's always these issues that need to be negotiated around, you know, I don't know if Chris wants to be a wedding event planner or in that business. I actually <laughs> am speaking of which, uh, uh, what, what's my official title, baby? Give me a title. Wedding helper boy. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's the thing is like, if you're, if they're good with it and then you look at those, those dynamics for your family, it could be really good. But you, and it simplifies. That's one thing that I've seen where a lot of times you'll have, it's like, why are we investing for, again, I go back to the resources. You want a team that's investing for one thing. I mean, if you could get your wedding business up to, you know, twice that, does that, does the revenue pay off? Can you increase your margins? Can you, you know, can he do recordings or things that get more money from instead of having to get other professionals to do that? There's all those interesting places where you're like, could we increase our margins? All, all of that that I could see being interesting. Yeah. You're making me think a lot. Maybe we need to buy yeah, the make book. Make her think. Make her think about this. <laughs> Steer in the right direction. <laughs> no, this is really intriguing. Now, but you did bring up something earlier, and I did want to pick your brain about this because, you know, as Chris and I are in a this is our second marriage and we're in a blended family dynamic. One of the things that I've been wrestling with, cause we're both in our forties. Um, you know, Chris just turned 40. Wait a second. <laughs> I am. <laughs> You're in your forties. I, um, I thought I was 25. <laughs> yeah. I was going to make a joke, but I'm not going to right now. Um, so as we're, you know, in our early mid forties, uh, we are, we've been constantly talking about like, how do we prepare ourselves for retirement? And I think that, for me, that's where I have a bit of fear is like, okay, so fortunately I was able to preserve 
my pension. I didn't have to give any of that away from my first marriage. So I'm, you know, have a healthy pension and so does Chris. But when we think about setting ourselves up so that we and live a comfortable life and can continue to provide a comfortable life, I guess I don't know how to set that up. We both come from a background where generational wealth hasn't been the norm and we want to create that for our kids. So how is that how is that something that we can do this late in the game? Yeah, well generational wealth in my opinion is a large you know, if you're like I ha- I've seen where some people there's a there's a guy who he died around here it was about 5 or 10 years ago now. And he passed on $20 million to his 18-year-old daughter. Wow. He had five kids. I think all the kids got $20 million and his wife got $100 million. And that one, that daughter is on her fourth or fifth marriage. She's bought and sold a lot of businesses and they've not done well because she doesn't know what she's doing. So whenever you give wealth, you think about wealth in terms of the stuff. But the reality is a lot of the wealth is in the business model that created the wealth. Right. So it's how do you get your kids involved and help them learn the lessons that are going to make them successful? Because if you don't have that chunk there, then pass giving your kids, okay, great, we're going to give you $10 million. Your kids will go, oh, great. Um, you know, as if they don't know what to do with it, they probably are hurt their their lives with it, potentially do drugs and kill themselves with it. So it's much more important in the short term to focus on the children. And how do we generate, how do we make sure they're on a good path and make sure that investment's there? Because I've seen so many parents who don't invest in their kids and then their kids start to get into trouble when they're 18, 19, 20, and then they're throwing, oh, here's $35,000 for a rehab program. Here's the, right. like, they're just throwing so much money because they didn't invest in their children when they could have. And so now they're trying to, now they have to pay for that or they try to, but it rarely acts out very, works out very well. So I think there's a core of early, it's just like in a business, when your kids are young, you want to invest in them. And especially if you have these businesses, getting your kids in, involved in the business, which I'd be surprised if you're not with a title like, you know, helper boy for Chris, I'd assume <laughs> your kids are also getting involved. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you get them involved. Here's how a business model works. Here's how money works. Here's how these things work. And then, I mean, if you look through, you know, if you have a good wedding business, a lot of times you're, you can expand that You're like, oh, we're going to have multiple locations. And now I'm going to step up and be the, you know, Uber director over and then I'll hire people under me. So that's the entrepreneurial thing. And it seems like both of you have that spirit where you can step back and then you're not necessarily like, oh, I need to retire. Well, do you want to retire? I've heard a lot of people who are like, I retired and then I had nothing to do. So then I went right. and worked again. So right, I look yeah. at it more in the thing of like, what lifestyle do you want to have then? And if you're like, oh, I love weddings and I and I, I can step, take a step up and hire wedding planners underneath me once I get to a point. And then I can run this into my whatever, 70s or 80s. Right. So and that's it's like, again, what do you want to do? And And that's where I think with a lot of. I was definitely in the same boat, I think, that you were, Christine, when I'm like, I'm doing all this entrepreneur stuff, but how much is an Irish dance business worth? How do I sell this, especially if it's on my property? You know, but it's now when my wife's like, well, at some point she wants to take a step back, stop teaching as many classes, hire student kids under her, uh, kids, 20-year-olds, I guess that's what we call right. them now. <laughs> and then you can kind of run that. And there's there's been a number of Irish dance teachers who have done that. 
because it's keeping you involved. It's giving you some something to do, and it's also generating the money. So I think it's a little bit around those. And, and ultimately, you can usually sell those type of businesses to someone else for, you know, one to one to five times revenue, given the state of the market. I don't know. But, you know, you can end up selling businesses that are good businesses. But can you sell a business that is just service oriented and really is branded after one person? So like for my example, my company, Christine Smith Designs, the brand is me. So not that I'm going to, but I've always wondered about this. Like, could I really sell a business where literally it's just me providing services? And then of course I have, you know, some hard goods and things like that. But is that even a possibility? Not that I want to. (laughs) Yeah, you can, you can sell businesses that that's, you, you see this quite often, right? They, (laughs) people will come up, they'll name their business a specific thing. Then they're like, Oh, I can, I sell it. That's where you would get into like, okay, KSD, you know, like you start to make it so that it's less about you or you re you can do a rebranding if you're really the face and that's what everyone wants. I mean, if it's, you know, like the Kardashians or something, you might have a bigger problem, but a lot of them, you can rebrand the business and do that. And, you know, you'd want to run it a few years that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's ways to do that. I mean, a rebrand of a company is not that that difficult. Right. But I think people would probably would buy it for the client list probably, you know, oh, yeah. it, it probably just like, just get rid of the Christine Smith Designs part of it and then just rebrand it under Joe Blow's, you know, weddings and, <laughs> weddings and fish and tacos. Wedding Junction. <laughs> or whatever. Wedding and Outlet. Wedding Outlet. <laughs> just to have the clientele list and have the, you know, I mean, ha- yeah, I guess you can put all of the other weddings behind you. Like, oh, we worked on these other weddings. Although they really didn't. Maybe they can just put them in their uh, portfolio. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah. Rebrands are done. I mean, I've, I've gone through this in the business world at one point, like we were at, I was at ancestry.com, but I think I was hired as the generations network. And then there was another one in their family network, something like they did three rebrands in the course of the six years I was there. So it's not uncommon. So there's a, there's a, you know, unless your brand is everyone's like, Oh, I just know Christine and she's the one. But if you have all these clients flying in from other places, it's much more the client list that you have and however you're doing marketing and advertising and whatever relationships you have. So, I mean, you could, there's a lot of different ways you could do that with a rebrand. It wouldn't be hard at all. Hey, Aaron, I got to ask you a question about Ancestry.com. Did you do a test on yourself and did you find anything crazy come out of it? I have not done the DNA test on myself. However, my wife's mother did a test and she was 70 years old when she found out that instead of having an Irish grandfather or Irish father, she actually had an Italian father. So yeah, I've seen a lot of really crazy stuff. There was an event, Roots Tech it happens in Salt Lake, which I was all about generate uh, genealogy. That was last month. And there's a lot of crazy stuff that can come out of it. It's, I think about what they say, 10 to 20% of people don't know who their father is. Oh, <laughs> or, wow. Well, or they like think, a real father or like, you're talking like great, 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 great grandfather, father. No, like father. Like either they don't know or they think it's someone and it's actually Dude, not. I'm telling you, I got Amori Povich. He like, gets scared of that. No problem. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, I was really, I heard some stories that really was scared me. I was like, oh boy, like some things, I don't know. They might be better to keep hidden. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Aaron, it sounds like you've put a lot of thought into your book. I'm wondering who is your ideal audience for Family Flywheel? My ideal audience 
is is that is people who are working in business who understand business and haven't really been able to take that over into their family. I mean, it applies as I've put it, it applies to every single family. Everyone uses this model. I mean, they don't use the model. They, it, the principles apply. And so I can go through and go, oh, here's how that apply to this family. Here's how to apply to them, this one. But I'm thinking it's much more the people who are in business and who are like, oh, I never thought of my family in the same terms. I never realized that all of this time I've done working or studying business, all these principles can actually translate over into my family of course, you want to have a loving family and all these type of things as well. So you don't want this heartless business, which is what some people get concerned with. But it's really people who are like, I've been in the business and I just didn't realize how it applies. I think especially men who don't, they're like, I'm focused so much on my career and then I don't know how to do it at home. My family's, I have a family problems. And then I also think for men and women to have a common language so that they can go, oh, I was investing in financial resources today. and you were investing in social resources today. Great. We can both appreciate that because we both realized we were both investing in the family versus what I've seen sometimes where men will come home and be like, well, I did, I got iron money. You know, we got $5,000 more in the bank because of me. What did you do wife? Nothing. Oh, okay. Look, I'm so much better. So I just think there's a lot of disrespect, not intentional, but it's just kind of because people didn't have an, an understanding of what was actually going on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, so Aaron, where can our listeners find out more about you? And then do you provide any type of coaching services or consulting for individuals? Yeah, I've, I can, I've done that. I'm a tech guy, so <laughs> I, I definitely, I'll, I'll help whoever I can, but yeah, my, my website, the family flywheel, it has the book resources, a link to the book on Amazon. It's got, I have an audio book as well on audible and most of the audio places. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at Aaron at the or you can find me on Facebook uh, and LinkedIn, Aaron K. Shelley. But nice. yeah, I, I, I'll help with whoever I'm, I'm more in the mode of promoting the book, but so the consulting, I've done some of that just as a byproduct when people are saying, Hey, I have this question. Great. Let's go through it. I don't, I'm at a point financially where I'm not I don't need as much money. So it's more like, <laughs> how do I provide people with value and how do I give back? I'm much more focused on that than, okay, how do I make sure that someone pays me? Right. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Aaron, we so appreciate you being on the show today. Any last words of wisdom for our listeners? I would just say, if you read the book, make sure you're investing holistically. Because I find it so tragic when people underinvest in certain areas and then get results in life that they really didn't want, but they ended up with. And it's obvious why they got them because they weren't focused. They were either just so focused on financial or so focused on themselves that they didn't look at the whole family and say, what is the best for us and, and how do we move together forward? Fantastic. Definite words of wisdom. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show and we wish you all of the best of luck. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you guys. It's been fun. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. 
visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. Well, I really loved talking with Aaron and hearing all about his family flywheel. And I feel that he had some very insightful things to say. And it made me really think about, you know, what would it take to really grow Christine Smith Designs to the next level? Would it mean that you would need to step away from your job to be able to do that? Or or would it mean you need to work a little bit more to free me up to be able to commit more time to my business? Well, it's funny you say that. You see, I already work four days a week as it is now. I know, but I work seven. Also, hey, don't look at the comparing. (laughs) It's not comparing. All right, it's not comparing. I work four now. And I also work the opposite schedule than you do now. So me working more of the same thing I do would have zero bearing on anything you do. Like zero. Um, okay. So by me working more would have zero a positive effect for you. Well, that's what you think. But bringing in more money is always a positive thing. Well, but, yeah. But I would sacrifice my time with you and I value my time with you more than anything. You do. I value my time with you too. That's why I always want to be home more with you. Every time you're home, I'm like, yes, I got to be home with Christine. But I, I do- love being around you so much. I love, I love, I love everything about you, babe. Oh, you're so sweet. But you know what I really do enjoy too? What's that? Is when you're around me and you don't have to talk. <laughs> That's horrible. Clover, I, do growling to, over there. I do love to like have quiet time just hanging out where like we're working on our different projects or watching a movie or whatever. Um, but I do like quiet think time too. So I think I can't like- do that. I have to read everything out loud. I have to think out loud. Like literally if I have a problem in my head, like a, what's this number times that number? I literally will say it out loud. But you and didn't do that when we were dating. Yes, I did. No. All the time. You didn't no. hear me. You didn't hear me as much. Oh. You, you tuned me out. <laughs> no. That's what it was. It was selective hearing by Christine. No, no, I don't have selective hearing, but uh, it was a really interesting interview and I really appreciate Aaron taking time out of his Saturday to be here with us and uh, definitely going to take a look at that book and and think about its implications for our family and for our businesses and just, you know, take some words of wisdom and apply them because I think we can always be learning, especially from people that, you know, have a, a business mindset. That is very true. You know, it reminded me of a tweet I posted yesterday or last night. You know, that's another thing. If I can't talk to anybody, what I'll do is I'll, I'll tweet it out, you know, <laughs> to the universe. Like, oh, that's a good thought. I got to tweet that out, you know, because mm-hmm. it's always racing through my head. So the tweet basically read as this. It said something along the lines of, if you refuse to learn new things, you will fail. Okay. Yeah. So words of wisdom, like Chris, you're truly. Okay. Sounds good. Well, You know, I think that we have a lot to think about, and I hope that this episode gave our listeners a lot to think about. And if they're wanting to listen to some of our past episodes, where can they find us? You always go to the master website, which is chrisandchristineshow.com. And what can they find there? Oh, you can find links to Christine Smith Designs. Speaking of businesses, speaking of amazing fortunes of uh, glory, Christine Smith <laughs> Designs is all right. The link for that is right there. A uh, link for uh, K2 Radio if you like music. Like we love music. Who doesn't love music? We all love music. Our radio station is there, K2 Radio. And of course, links to Podtastic Audio, my um, podcast, help podcasters create amazing shows for basically amazing nothing. For amazing nothing. <laughs> 
Well, thanks so much for listening to us, everybody. We hope you got some good information out of this week. And if not, you got to learn about odd jobs that Chris and I have had during our life and our goals for our family and our business. And we just appreciate you so much for listening to us. And we'll be back with you next next week. week.